morning. It's good to see everybody. Glad you're here on uh, a pretty day. Um, I wanted to just kind of reinforce what they said. Of course, Easter is just around the corner, and I hope you're excited. We always work really hard to uh, do a lot of special things so that when you invite your friends and family, they are encouraged. And as they mentioned, I encourage you to, there's 10 of these cards. We remember if you were here last week, we learned that a seven-year-old card, it changed a family's life. So giving these out are important. The other thing we're going to do is on your way out, we're going to give you one of these, okay? And uh, it's an Easter promotion as well. And, you know, don't put it in the bottom of your car. It doesn't do a lot of good there. Or put it on your counter in your kitchen, and unless you're trying to get your spouse, I guess, to come on Easter. But... Uh, give it, put it somewhere, you know, whether it be where you work or where you work out or uh, ask, the worst they can say is no. And again, somebody might see it, they might show up, and God might forever change their lives. And the scripture says that in the end, there are rewards for that. And uh, I don't know how all that works out, but I encourage you to do that. So uh, take it serious. It's a serious opportunity to make a difference in somebody's life. Um, and that's why we do it, is so that you and I can partner together uh, in that. If you've been watching the news, you know that um, in South America, they've been having lots of rain and as a result, some natural disasters. We have a campus in Lima. They sent us a video and this is what they sent us. Hola, Familia Potential. Como sabes, actualmente nuestro Perú está siendo azotado por diversos desastres naturales causados por las frecuentes lluvias y la intensidad de los huaicos. Muchas familias lo han perdido absolutamente todo. Como iglesia no podemos ser indiferentes y tenemos una gran responsabilidad. Es por eso que hemos lanzado una iniciativa llamada Unidos por el Perú, para poder contar con tu apoyo a través de donación y colaboración de productos no perecibles y ropa en buen estado. Si deseas ayudar, contáctanos a los datos que aparecen aquí en pantalla. Contamos contigo. All right, so as you can see, of course, there's incredible challenges. One of the great things about being a part of Potential, you may not know, is the opportunity to uh, make a difference in more than just one location. So we have a campus, two campuses actually, in Lima, and they are ministering directly to those folks. Now, we can't, um, it just does not economically make sense for you and I to get a bunch of canned goods and send it over there. But if you do want to help, um, you can do that financially, and of course, you know, we send resources, we send money to our campuses over there every month, but this is in addition to that. There's an envelope, it's just a regular uh, giving envelope, just write Lima on it, and we'll make sure that it gets there, or if you'd like to give online, you can do that as well. But um, uh, if you want to help out, if God's nudging your heart to be a part of that, beyond, you know, the reality is, is you help if you're uh, generous, if you're a part uh, and give here a potential because like I said we send resources each month to both of those campuses so even if you don't speak Spanish one day you're going to be in heaven somebody's going to come up to you in Spanish South American Spanish they're going to say thank you and you're going to say well what and they're going to say thank you for being faithful in your giving to potential church because your obedience impacted my life there are folks in in Lima every weekend that trust Christ and take steps and that wouldn't happen if it weren't for your generosity. So I thank you for that, but even more so, 
Um, you know, that's, the Bible says we have trophies. And I think the trophies are the impact we've had on the lives. Because it says they never fade, they never get old. And so you, you, you see them. And I think when you think about for eternity being reminded that that word that you spoke, that poster that you hung up, or that gift that you gave impacted that person's life, that God used it in that way. If you want to pull out the outline that you got, we're in a series. We're talking about the lone voice. We're looking at the prophet Jeremiah. He's often known as the weeping prophet. Now, last weekend, if you were here, Stephanie and I talked together. We talked about the value of life. We talked about the culture in which we live and uh, challenging uh, teaching, not because the scripture's not clear, but because our culture always doesn't like to hear the truth. I told you last weekend, if you were here, there were consequences to speaking the truth. And if you were at, if you're here, and I assume you are here, those that are watching online, maybe not quite as evident, but those of you that are here, and if you've been to any of our campuses, what I told you is true. Uh, attendance is down by about 25% this weekend. Giving is down by about 25 to 35% this weekend. And here's the reason I tell you that. There are consequences for speaking the truth. Those are not just words that we say. And, and, and we have to determine on whatever the issue might be where we stand and what price we're willing to pay to be a part um, of speaking that truth. So today I want to talk about... Um, Chapter 20, and I want to give you a word of encouragement. I don't know whether you need it, but with attendance being down by 25%, giving by about 35 this weekend, I need it. So um, you can listen as I talk to myself, all right? Uh, you, you, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but maybe, you know, like I said, as a Christ follower sometimes here, you know, in the ministry, trying to make a difference in a world that isn't always interested in what God has to say, it gets discouraging. Sometimes it gets discouraging as a parent, doesn't it? Trying to get your children to understand the consequences of their decisions, or maybe it gets discouraging as a spouse, trying to um, see transformation in the life of the person you said I do to. Maybe it gets discouraging financially, trying to experience some kind of breakthrough. I guess my question to begin is, have you ever felt like giving up? How many of you ever felt like that? Felt just like, you know what, I'm just going to throw in the towel. Well, you're not alone. There are a lot of folks in the Old Testament. There's Job, there's Elijah, there's Jonah. They all said, I'm just going to quit. I wish I'd never been born. I wish I was dead. I mean, those are pretty strong statements from prophets uh, found in the scripture. But of course, the one we're studying is Jeremiah. And now remember, Jeremiah was called by God, and he was called by God to tell the truth. And what was the truth? If you don't turn, the Babylonians are going to destroy our capital, and they're going to take us captive. And the people said, Jeremiah, look around. You're the only one speaking this. Look around, we are fine. God is with us. He's built this temple. We are founded on a Christian idea and a Christian mindset. They probably wouldn't have said Christian. They would have said a, a God or Jewish. But Jeremiah continued to speak. The people didn't like what he had to say. Eventually, one of the religious leaders looked at him one day and had him arrested 
He was beaten and tortured, and then he was put in stocks, which, you know, if you've seen on television, it's kind of that thing where you got your hands and your head. And they always put those things at the gate so people would, you know, have to walk by. And so Jeremiah spends 24 hours after being beaten up, tortured, in those stocks as people walk by and they laugh. Jeremiah, where are the Babylonians now? (laughs) You're the only one that seems to be suffering. And in that process, Jeremiah chapter 20 gives us some insight into what he was thinking. And maybe you can identify. I know I can. He said, Lord, you tricked me. I was fooled. He's talking about his calling. He's talking about, I'm doing what you've asked me to do, and look at me. Look at what's happening. He says, you're stronger than I am, so you won. He says, I've become a joke. Everybody makes fun of me all day long. Every time I speak, I shout. I'm always shouting about violence and destruction. He says, but really, all I'm doing is telling them about the message I received from you, the Lord. You ever feel like that? He says, I'm always challenging people. I'm always trying to get folks to repent, which is a change of mind. I'm always challenging the way they're living and the way that they're thinking. Because, God, I'm telling them what you told me to tell them. And they mock at me and they laugh at me. This only brings me insults. The people make fun of me all day long. He says, sometimes I even say to myself, I'll forget about this, Lord. I'm not going to speak about him anymore. What's Jeremiah say? He says, you know, sometimes I just think I'm going to quit. It's not really making a difference anyways. Nobody really believes it. Nobody's willing to pay the price. I'm just a lone voice. He says, let there be a curse on the day I was born. Let there be no blessing on the day when my mother gave birth to me. Let there be a curse on the man who brought my father the news. You have a son. Let him hear loud crying in the morning and battle cries at noon. Why? Because he didn't kill me before I was born. Then my mother would have been my, my grave. What's Jeremiah saying? saying, I wish I were dead. I wish I'd never been born. This is too hard. This is too lonely. This is too difficult. Nobody gets it. All I have known is trouble and sorrow. And he says, you know what? It's going to end bad anyways. What's it matter? Why? And again, maybe you can identify with Jeremiah. Maybe you know, maybe even today, what it feels like to feel that what you're doing is not making a difference. That no one, or at least the one you want to hear, is not hearing. And instead of hearing, they're actually mocking, making fun, laughing. That's exactly what Jeremiah was experiencing. But then in verse 9 of the same chapter, look at what it says. But, and you might circle that word but. But, because that's what God was able to see in Jeremiah. That Jeremiah wasn't even able to see in himself. But, in other words, God was able to look past all of what Jeremiah, or you could say the same was true for Jonah or um, Elijah. He was able to look past all that and see the heart of Jeremiah. And he says, but when I tell myself I'll never mention your name or speak you again, it's no use. He says, you know, but when I tell myself I'm just going to quit, I'm just going to give up, I'm just going to surrender, it's of no use. Why is it of no use? Why can't I quit? Why can't I just throw in the towel? It seems that so many do. Well, he says, because the word of God burns in my heart. 
It's like a fire in my bones. I try to hold it in, but I cannot. Why can't he quit? Because God's word is a fire deep within him. And so think about this. Every time Jeremiah tells himself, it doesn't matter. They're never going to change. It's never going to be different. It's not even going to end well. Every time he wants to quit, what keeps him from giving up is that deep within his heart is God's word. See, that's why I challenge you week after week to be consistent in your time with God and your commitment to his house. Why? So that when you feel like giving up on your dream, and you will, and when you feel like giving up on your marriage, and you will, when you feel like giving up on ever trying to get your kids to make a change, when you feel like giving up on ever experiencing financial breakthrough, that his word will be deep within your heart that is a fire. In other words, Jeremiah says, I can't quit, and the reason I can't quit is because I know the truth. I can't get away from the truth. It is deep within me. And those who do give up, give up. Because while they may claim themselves to be a Christ follower, his word is not deep within their heart. The truth is not there that continues to burn inside of them that says you can't give up because God is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is everywhere at one time. He does keep his word. He is faithful. See, the only way you can give up is to quit believing that. And that's why I stand up here week after week and I say, hey, you need to be faithful to his house. And yet I watch folks who are not faithful, who are not committed to him. They raise their hands during worship the one time a month that they're here. And you know why that's important? The reason that's important is because when you feel like giving up, you will. Not because you're bad. Not because you're evil, but because that word is not deep down inside of you. It doesn't burn so that you can't quit. It wasn't that Jeremiah determined or decided not to quit. It was that he could not give up. I want that in my life. Because I'm fearful that if that word is not deep within my heart, I will give up. Because there's just too many things on planet earth that are hard and that are difficult. So he says that word, and I think the word that he was talking about is what's found in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, he's, which was his calling. It was his purpose. He says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. In other words, Jeremiah could not give up because God's word, God's purpose, God's potential, God's dream was too deep within his heart. So I think... For you and I, in 2017, the word that might keep us from giving up, I think, is found in, in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 and chapter 12. Because in chapter 11 and 12, we, we, we hear an extending, extended conversation about giving up. About those who don't give up and those who do give up. Those who stay in the faith and those who for some reason, give up, surrender, walk away. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about these um, different, different groups. It talks about those like Jonah, who got a second chance. Job, who got back everything he lost, doubled. It talks about Elijah, who didn't die. The Bible says that God just took him up. But it also mentions people like Jeremiah, whose reward wasn't 
until heaven. And in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, therefore. And what it is referring to is chapter 11. And chapter 11 is trying to remind you and I that we are a part of a much bigger race than we sometimes realize. That the race we're a part of is not just my life. It's not just your life. It's not just the 75, 80 years that you have upon this planet, but that God's doing something much bigger than that. That he is moving generation after generation to do something in this world. And you and I are a part, you might say, of that relay race. I borrowed a baton that they use. How many of you ever ran a relay race? How many of you have ever seen one on TV? All right. This brings up horrible memories. I hated track because, and the only reason I took track is because our basketball coach said we had to if we wanted to play basketball. But in a relay race, right, you've got four men or women. And when I was in school, it was the 440, 880, and the mile. Uh, today, I guess it'd be 400 meters, uh, 800 meters, and, and then 1,600 meters mile. Well, let's say it's, the, it's one time around the track for each person. So the gun goes off, and the first person takes off, and they run around the track. And as they get back towards the finish line, it's not the finish of the race. The next person on their team is standing there. And they've got to be able to give that person this baton in a certain amount of time. There are a couple of lines in which they have to give the baton. If they drop the baton as the U.S. did in the last Olympics, or if they run past the line, they, they get dis, disqualified. But they put that baton in the hand of the next runner, and of course they grab it and they take off. And each runner is important because you can be ahead when the first guy or lady takes off, but you can be way behind by the time the third person gets the baton. In other words, if you think that the whole race is about your leg of the race, your lap around the track, you're not understanding that you're a part of something much bigger than that. That, God, that you are being positioned, right? They don't just throw you out there. People with certain types of running abilities are placed either first, second, third, or fourth. And what Hebrews is trying to remind us is that we are a part of a relay race is that your life is about something much bigger than just your life. That God is doing something generation from generation and that we are taking the baton of our faith and we are handing it off to the next generation. That's why he says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, he begins it by saying, Therefore, therefore understanding that your life is about something much bigger than just your life. It's about something much bigger than just 2017 or this decade. It's about what God is doing on planet Earth. It's about how God wants to use this generation. And, and he goes on and says, therefore, and he tells us how not to give up. And that's where I want us to spend the rest of our time. So look with me in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, right? Therefore, because we are a, much, a part of a much bigger race. Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set out before us. We do this by keeping our eyes upon Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Why? How? Well, because of the joy awaiting him. 
He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. And I think in those two verses, we get some real insight on how not to give up. So let me share them. Let me share them with you. Here's the first thing. Is that when you feel like giving up, you need to remember that you have cheerleaders. Right? You need to remember that you have cheerleaders. Remember what it said in verse 1? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. You have cheerleaders. Yay, rah. Now remember, these cheerleaders are for you, not just for us. They're cheering you on. They know your name. They know your story. Let, let me show you a picture of the world, most world's most famous cheerleaders. All right, does anybody know who that is? Yeah, that's the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders. And in the 1970s, they became world famous. You guys can go ahead and take the picture down. We don't want anybody to sin, all right? <laughs> now, I was doing a little research, and I, I, I discovered that the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders are not from Dallas. I mean, I, I looked at the biography of the first three anyways, and then Steph told me that was enough research, but... <clears throat> They're not from Dallas. They're not even from Texas. So they, they don't know what it means to be a Texas cowboy. They don't know the importance and the stress and the weight of football in Texas. I mean, they're only there in hopes that they'll do good and end up in Hollywood or whatever their dream is. But, but they don't understand the context in which they're cheering. Well, that's not the case when it comes to your cheerleaders found in Hebrews chapter 12. See, if you look back, it says that your cheerleaders are a crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. In other words, they have ran the race. They know what it's like to be where you are. They know what it's like to doubt what deep inside you know to be true. They know what it's like to be struggling to take one more step and to not give up on what God has called you to do and what God has, the dream that God has put inside of your heart. They are witnesses. They're not just cheerleaders that showed up. They are folks who have ran the race. Years ago, Steph and I had the unique opportunity to go to Cairo, Egypt, to share the gospel in a place which the gospel is not very freely shared. And a uh, scary time, it was right during the revolution and all that was going on there in Egypt. We also went to the troops in Germany. Um, some of you might have been here when we did that. And one of the neat things about it was we had a layover um, in, in Rome. And one of the things that we got to see while we were there was the Colosseum. And so I took some pictures. Of course, it's not in its, uh, the way that it used to be, right? That's the way the Colosseum looks today. But the writer of Hebrews, when he writes chapter 12 and verse 1, he has these type of venues in mind. Big coliseums, big theaters. Because what would happen is that they would put the Christian without any type of weapon in the middle of that coliseum, along with some lions and bears. And, of course, lions and bears don't need any weapon. They are born with them. They'd put them in there with gladiators as well. And they would take on the Christians. And these coliseums would be filled with people. Every seat would be taken. They loved their athletics. 
And so what come, what's in the mind of the writer of Hebrews is he says, therefore, because what you're doing is much bigger, a much bigger race, remember that you have cheerleaders. Remember you are encompassed around these folks because what would happen is that as that Christian was facing uh, just unbeatable odds standing in front of a lion or a gladiator or a bear that scattered salt and pepper throughout that Colosseum would be other Christ followers. And as they watched their brother down on the field, they would stand and they would say, don't give up. You can stand. We're with you. Stay strong. Fight on. Don't quit. Don't give up. And that's what the writer of Hebrews has in mind. And he is reminding us that when we feel like giving up, that when it seems overwhelming and the pain runs deeper than just what you're thinking, that the great saints of the past, Noah and Abraham, Adam and Paul and Mark, they stand to their feet and they cheer you on in your situation. Don't give up. Don't surrender. Don't quit. I've been where you have. I've been where you are. Keep running the race. Keep Fighting the fight. Don't give up. So we have to remember that when we feel like giving up, that we have cheerleaders. These cheerleaders aren't just anybody. There are the great people of the faith. Some of them might be your grandmother or your grandfather who has went on to be with the Lord. They know your situation. I don't know how it all works. I just know that the scripture says you and me. They're not just cheerleading for anybody. And they're not just cheerleading for all Christians. They're cheerleading for you in the battle that you're facing right now to give up. So remember that. The, the second thing that I jotted down in your notes is that, well, I, we don't have time, but Paul... You write this down and you can go read it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about all the struggles he's been through. He says, you know what? I've been shipwrecked. I've been left for dead. I've been beaten. I've been floating out in the water of the ocean for 24 hours. He says, I've been through so much pain in my life. But then in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, he says this. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed later. And the same thing is true for you, sir. The same thing is true for you, ma'am. I don't want to downplay what you're going through. Paul didn't. He said, you know, I've been through a whole lot in my life. But it doesn't compare to what God has for us in the future. The second thing we have to do is, if we don't want to give up, is to dress like a champion. You notice he says in verse 1, let us strip off. Every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Now, why do you want to dress like a champion? Well, because you have the faith or the confidence that you're going to be the champion. Why? Because you have a word that burns in you, a calling, a purpose, a reason for which you were created and knit together in your mother's womb. So we have to dress like a champion. Let me show you another picture. This is a picture of the fastest man in the world. He's crossing the finish line and looking at the camera at the same time. That's how you know you're fast, all right? 
As when you're so far ahead, you can pose. But if you look at him, you notice that he, he doesn't have anything on just for the sake of it. That, that everything he has on, he has on with the idea that he's going to be the first one across the finish line. In other words, there's intentionality in what he's wearing. He's dressing like a champion because he has the expectation that he is going to win the race. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us in verse number one. He's saying dress like a champion. How do you do that? Strip off every weight that slows you down and every sin that trips you up. So there are two different aspects of our uh, clothing. There is that which weighs us down and there is that which trips us up. Weight and sin. They're two different things. So let's talk about these for a moment. The first thing he says is we need to strip away weight. Now this is not sin because he differentiates between sin. This is not right or wrong. This is weight that slows us down. Therefore, it's something that distracts us. Right? It's not right or wrong. It's just distracting. Kind of gets you over here. It might, might be a hobby. Right? It's not like it's an evil hobby. It's just like it's, but it's a hobby that distracts you from your destiny or from your purpose, from your calling. So it slows you down. It's like an anchor. See, and the problem with weight is that weight can become discouraging. When you're running and it just seems like you're not getting anywhere, right? When is it the most difficult to lose weight? Is it the first few weeks when you're dropping pounds like this? Or is it later in the process when it seems like, man, I've been going a month and I can't drop any more weight? That's when we tend to give up. Weight, it, it weighs us down. You know, years ago, we had um, a pastor, uh, Sammy Waller was his name, and he came to have an um, interview to be a, a small group pastor. Now, at the time, Dan Sutherland was the lead pastor here, and Hal Mayer was the executive pastor. And their interview, they didn't want to just sit across the table and ask questions and things. They wanted to get Sammy in a different environment, see how he responded, maybe something competitive. or Anyways, they decided to basically kind of go out on the ocean, go fishing, go on a boat ride. And so they had a, 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 a kind of a speedboat kind of thing. I don't know whose it was, but Pastor Hal went, Pastor Sammy went, and I went. And so we're, you know, out on the ocean. I'd only been here a few months, so I didn't know anything about the ocean either. But we got about, Pastor Hal supposedly was supposed to, but we, we got about 200 yards off of the, off the beach, all right? And if you've ever been out there, if you notice, a lot of times there's a strong current out there. Well, we anchored the boat, and then we jumped off the boat. Me and Pastor Hal, Sammy stayed on the boat. Well, we jumped off the boat, and we didn't get off the boat very long at all before we realized, you know what, there's a strong current. Because the boat was staying put, and we were moving very quickly away from it. And we're like, Sammy, come get us. Well, Sammy couldn't get the anchor up. So we decided we're going to have to swim to the boat. So Pastor Hal said, don't worry about it, I'll swim to the boat. And he took off, but he didn't make it. I might say I enjoyed the fact that he didn't make it. But um, <clears throat> he looked at me, he said, you're younger, threw the, the life jacket to me and said, you go. And so I'm not much of a good swimmer, but eventually I made it to the boat and got there, got to the front where the anchor was. We pulled on it together. We couldn't get it up. Hal's getting further and further away. So eventually what I did is I just untied the anchor. And the moment I untied the anchor and released the rope, you know what happened? We were free. 
And we were free to go save Pastor Hal from, you know, all the things that could happen in the ocean. Well, that's exactly what he's talking about here. Is that there are some things you need to untie in your life. There might be some hobbies, maybe some relationships that weigh you down. They're negative. They're discouraging. They're defeating. They turn you into somebody you don't even like or want to be. Again, it's not that they're evil. It's just that they slow you down. I don't know what it is you need to untie, but you do. You know whether it's a hobby or an activity or a relationship, something that's distracting you, weighing you down from the purpose from which you were created, the goal, the dream that's in your heart. If you're honest enough, you know you need to untie it, dress like a champion. But then he says that there's the sin that trips us up. And I, I, I think he says trips us up for a reason, right? Because we don't trip over a couch. Why? Because you can see it. You, you know, you, you don't get up in the morning or even in the middle of the night and trip over your couch. Why? You, can, you, you see it. You know where it's at. What do you trip over? You trip over the, the dog's toys or the kid's skates, you know. You, you trip over something that is small that you tend to overlook. And I think that's the kind of sin that he's talking about here. The kind of sin that we normally don't think that much about. It's not a big deal, right? It's the sin of consumption. Maybe, you know, all that we eat or what we watch or what we read or what we listen to. I mean, it was small. I mean, right? Who really worries about that kind of stuff? It's not that big a deal. Well, what's he saying? He's saying that stuff trips you up. It may seem small, but it's always leading somewhere. It might be lust, anger, temper, revenge. You got hurt. What they did was wrong. And you just want to get even. So you spend all your time focused on social media in hopes that something bad is going to happen. And if you get an opportunity, you might help it happen. Right? You begin to gossip. That's the kind of stuff that he's talking about. And he says, you know, if you don't want to give up, you got to untie that stuff because it will either weigh you down or it will trip you up. And you know what happens when you trip? You fall. And when you fall, it's just that much harder to get up. Man, I've fallen. I'm behind. Right? It's a race, and I fell. I can't win now. It's never going to happen. I can't. I'll just, I'll just give up. I'll just, I'll go after something else. I'll change the finish line. Or I'll get a different goal. So if you and I don't want to give up, we got to remember that we have a, a uh, cheerleaders. And they're cheering you on. we got folks watching. And they're not watching with a judgmental spirit. They are watching with an encouraging spirit. And that we need to dress like a champion. Set 1 Corinthians 9 says, don't you realize that in a race everybody runs Underline this part, please. But only one person gets the prize. So do what? Run to win. See, run to win. Not everybody gets a prize. Not everybody gets a trophy. That's a new thought for our culture. Because in our culture, everybody gets a trophy just for showing up. Now, so so what is he saying? Please hear this. God is saying through Paul here. He's saying, so run to win. What is he saying? He's saying, stop hoping for God to zap you with success. Because that's what most of us do. We, we 
He says, not everyone gets a trophy, so run to win. And then how do we run to win? He says, discipline. Every athlete is disciplined. Paul says that there, in that very scripture, there is purpose in every step I take. I am not just boxing at the wind. So what is he saying to you and me today? He's saying, stop. Stop hoping that God somehow is going to zap your finances and make you wealthy. That you're going to get some kind of check in the mailbox and wonder where in the world did it came from. Or that God's going to zap your marriage and all of a sudden you're going to get along. Or God's going to zap your life and the job you've always wanted is going to come. He says, stop it. It's not the way that it works. How, does those, how do those things happen? Well, God is still the one that does them, but he does them through our obedience to him. Paul says, I beat my body into subjection. Just like every other athlete, I train it, I discipline it so that I will position myself to where God is blessing. In other words, God doesn't zap me with financial blessing, but when in obedience I move to where he is blessing, I experience financial blessing. And so will you. Same thing is true in my marriage. Same thing is true in my, my career, my profession, my job. I've got to move to where he's blessing. Please hear me. Don't get mad at God because he hasn't zapped you. When in all honesty, you're not living in obedience to him. That's not easy to hear, but every athlete knows that. It doesn't matter if you're Michael Phelps. If you don't train, you're not going to get a medal. And the same thing is true for you and I. We've got to dress to win. We've got to be obedient. And then the last thing is not only do we have cheerleaders, not only do we dress to win, but the third thing is what Paul said, we have to run to win. Let's finish this verse, verse 1 and then verse 2. He says, and let us run with what? Endurance. I love the fact that the Bible's right off the bat. He lets us know this is not going to be easy. You're going to want to quit along the way. You need endurance. Run with endurance. Persevere. Don't give up. Don't quit. Run with endurance the race that God has set before you. You don't have to run my race. You have enough energy to run the race that God created or God put in front of you. How? How do we run with endurance? By keeping our eyes on Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Well, he tells us Jesus is the champion who initiates or begins our faith, but he also perfects it. He brings it uh, to completion. How? Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in a place of honor. So think about this. Jesus had to go through the cross to get to his success. What was, what was the dream of Christ? Our redemption. Our ability to be in right relationship with God. Payment for our sins. And the only way for that to happen was, that, was the cross. The wages of sin is death. So Jesus had to take on our sin. He had to pay the price for our sin. So how did Jesus endure the cross knowing he could have gotten away from the cross? He didn't have to go to the cross. It's not like he didn't have another, another decision he could have made. He could have said, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to suffer. I'm not going to hurt. I'm not going to be in pain. They probably won't appreciate it anyways. 
They probably won't be faithful anyways. Jesus didn't think about all of our disobedience as he went to the cross. What does it say? It says it was because of the joy that was set before him. In other words, Jesus' focus wasn't on the cross, but he looked through the cross to what? To the joy. And what was the joy? Your redemption. You. You and I were what Christ was looking at as he endured the cross. The focus wasn't the cross. It was the joy. It was the redemption. It was the salvation of his creation, of those that he loves. And that's why he was able to take one step after another through the emotional and physical and even spiritual pain when God the Father turned his back up on him. Why? Because he was always looking to what it would bring about. And the only way to bring about that which would give him joy was the cross. And then he calls us to do the same thing. See, our tendency is to get focused on the challenge, is to get focused on the struggle, is to get focused on the pain. It hurts so much. And there is always this doubt that creeps in. What if? What if it never happens? What what if God's not faithful? What if God doesn't do what he said he would do? And he tells us that our focus is not to be upon the giant or the challenge that's in front of us, but we look through it. In other words, stop trying to go around it. Stop trying to go over it, under it. Stop trying to get away from the pain and realize that it is that pain that brings about the transformation that allows for the success or for the breakthrough on the other side. The focus is on the joy. The focus is on the goal. The focus is on the purpose. The focus is on the destiny. So even as I take one more step today and everything within me desires to give up, to surrender, to go somewhere else, do something different, I take yet another step. Why? Because my focus is not on the challenge that is before me, but on the promise that is in front of me. And one day you and I, if we don't give up, will step into his promise. So don't, don't, don't give up, right? Last thing is Galatians. I, I, I love, this, I love this, this scripture here because I think he makes Hebrews so clear. He says, so let us not become tired of doing good. The fear is that we'll get tired of doing good. Well, what does it mean to do good? What's that mean? Well, what does the scripture say? What's doing good? Well, one is forgiveness. So he's saying, don't get tired of forgiving others, right? Because you get tired, right? How many of you have ever been tired of forgiving somebody that continues to let you down? They continue to hurt you. They continue to say things and do things. And what does the scripture say? Don't get tired of forgiving. You forgive them again, and you forgive them again. You forgive them again, not because they deserve that forgiveness, but because I've called you to forgive. Trust me, don't get tired. Don't get tired of being kind to one another, the scripture says. Doesn't matter whether they deserve it. Doesn't matter whether they've earned it. Don't get tired. Don't let the culture turn you into an angry person. Don't let society, don't let your job, don't let your neighbors. Don't get tired. What about serving? Listen, if you're faithful to God and you engage in what he gave his life for, which is the local church, there'll be times when you want to get tired. You look around, you're like, where's everybody else? Why am I the only one here serving? 
Well, I'm the only one shaking hands. There's lots of people that could shake hands or help people park their cars or could take care of the students or help with the children. They don't care. It'll be, I paid my price. It's somebody else's turn. And what does he say in Galatians? Don't get tired of serving. Don't get tired of taking the towel and washing people's feet. Being a servant. But they don't appreciate it. Don't get tired. They don't desert. Don't get tired. Don't get tired of being generous. But you, but you understand. No, no, don't, don't get tired. Continue to be obedient in your generosity. But the guy on the street, I mean, if he got a job, don't get tired of being generous. But God, I've been faithful. I, I've tithed. I've given my offering. And I yet to have seen the breakthrough that, that Troy talks about as I read in your. Don't get tired. Because what happens when you get tired? What does it say? So let us not become tired of doing good, for if we do not give up, when you get tired, you will give up. You'll give up on forgiving one another. They don't deserve it anyways. I'm angry. I'm hurt. And they've done it to me over and over again. I'm giving up on forgiveness. I'm giving up on being kind. No one else is kind. I'm going to give up on serving. I mean, if they want it done, then they can show up and do it. But I'm tired of doing it for everybody else. I'm going to give up on being generous. Why am I the only one? Do I have to pay for everything? Do I have to make sure the, this is done? Or that? I'm just going to give up. I mean, that's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, so let us not become tired of doing good. For if we do not give up the time, and you might circle the word time, that's why most people get tired and give up. It's because God doesn't do what we want him to when we want him to. Time reveals your faith, doesn't it? Right? When, when is it most easy to doubt? When God's timing's not mine. There are things right now that I so badly thought in my life would already have happened, and they haven't. It's hard not to give up. It's hard not to quit on those things. But he says, do not give up. The time will come when we will what? What's it say? We'll reap a harvest. That's the promise. The promise is if you don't give up, it's not an all-conditional promise. In other words, what I mean by that is that if you give up, you're not going to reap a harvest. And most of us will give up somewhere along the line. And yet Paul, and I just hear him screaming from the pages of the Bible, from the boat that sank and the prison in which he found himself and all those things that were happening to him. He looks down to you and me and he says, hey, do not give up. Do not give up. Do not get tired. Because in due season, if you don't give up, you will reap a harvest. Not might, not should, not could, but you will. God's character and God's God's word is on the line. Don't, don't give up. So there's always going to be times when we feel like giving up. The question is, will we, will you, will I? And the only, the only weapon that I have against it is his word. It's the only, only thing I have keep me from not giving up. It's his word 
that burns in my heart the truth of what he says in Hebrews and the truth about what I know to be the call on my life. And I hope that the same is true for you. Would you bow your head? Father, I thank you for these folks. I thank you for their commitment to you. I thank you for their faithfulness to you. I pray that your word, I pray that Stephanie's heart, that they would experience it. I pray we won't quit. We may get frustrated. We may say a bunch of things. God, please help us not to give up. Ultimately, for your glory, for the kingdom's sake, that the world might be impacted, that our families' lives might be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right.